Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. I'm recording this in July 2020. It's a time when many business leaders are especially focused on how they can build a diverse workforce and what their social responsibilities are, especially as it relates to race. As I think about these questions, both for NextGen Venture Partners itself and for the companies we invest in, I wanted to turn to someone who I believe is ahead of the curve. And that led me to Blake Garrett, founder and CEO of Aceable. NextGen invested in Aceable's seed round of financing in 2015, and almost immediately, Blake was talking about the creation of a diverse and inclusive culture. Five years later, Blake has 200 employees, his educational products are being used by more than 1.5 million people a year, and Blake has continued that focus. I think this conversation will be helpful to any business leader thinking about the how for diversity and inclusion in their own companies. And I'm thrilled that Blake was willing to share his story. Blake, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Let's just start off with what Aceable is, where you came from, your story there. Sure. So Aceable is a company focused on what we call high stakes education, or it's education where there's a license or uh, certification involved. So we took a different approach than a lot of the companies out there in creating both a convenient product. So we started mobile first. And then also we we felt, it, well, it's not necessarily contrarian. It, it was a bit that content really mattered. How do we create engaging content that keeps keeps the learner, um, you know, having fun, but also then therefore can help create more effective outcomes. Since a lot of this education is at the center of somebody, you know, moving from point A to point B in their life, and they're trying to they're trying to get either a new job or open new doors. We started with a teen audience of all places because of the mobile education thesis with driver's ed. So driver's ed is often what's between someone and that ability to drive and that that the ability to drive then opens up new career opportunities or frankly, job opportunities um, to start contributing to society, bring some money in. So we started with driver's ed in 2014. Um, since then, we've expanded into real estate education also. So the, the education necessary to get your license, maintain your license. And ultimately, where we're going, there's about 50 million Americans that take license or certification training a year. And our aspiration is to be the provider for all 50 million. Awesome. And Blake, you have been focused on Aceable's diversity efforts for a while now. You said you launched in 2014. We first invested in 2015. This is an area now of increased focus broadly for society and certainly for many, many startups. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you were there pretty early. And let's start with kind of what motivated that. Yeah, you know, I suppose when you're a smaller startup, it kind of starts with with me or with the founder or the early founding team and their perspective on diversity. And I've always been, well, probably not always, to be honest. Um, as I've grown up, I've become more and more aware of the privilege that I had in my life and have in my life. And, you know, I got to be there's the the phrase as far as getting a head start in the race, whatever it might mean. But you know, I grew up a white male in North in California um, to two parents, and they're middle middle upper income parents. So I had whatever I needed to succeed in this world. And you know, as as I grew up, I started to realize how rare that was. And while I never, you know, felt shame about it, 
I felt like as long as I could continue to succeed at my goals, how could I use those um, that platform or that opportunity to help propel others forward that might not have the same opportunity? So there's a bit of, I don't know, social obligation, maybe a chip on my shoulder to how can I do more myself? And then as myself, you know, myself as the founder of a company, um, I was a sole founder. And then as we started to add employees, it's like, how do we create a more diverse team? Um, there's all sorts of benefits, which we can talk about today to doing that. But it really just started with how can I make a difference in the world as it relates to diversity um, in order to just give other people opportunities to, to shine? So the conversation at Aceable has been one since really, I can't put my finger on when, but pretty early on, 2014, 2015, um, creating a diverse team became important to me. So and, you know, as I look at it today and where it's really gone, you know, today, fast forward six years later, my wife and I have a six-month-old daughter. You know, when I look at our daughter, I think about all the privilege that she was born into. And then I think about other babies being born. It's like, well, how can we make sure that everyone has the same opportunity she has? And I think businesses have a unique opportunity to do that while simultaneously creating better products, better cultures to create better performance for the business. So I think it's just a win-win-win. Yeah. I certainly agree with you about where we are born, to whom we are born, what circumstances we are born in. It's a lottery. You know, it's, it's not like you deserve the hand you were dealt. And I sort of appreciate the, the spirit in which you're coming from. So going back to those early days, what were some of the things you actually did as a business to live up to those principles? In the earliest of days, you know, when we had 5, 10, 15 people, we didn't do, frankly, a whole lot formally. It was more, I've just being cognizant of how you build a diverse team. You know, growing up playing sports, you always think about, you know, as you put together a team, you need different people in different positions. And then if you think about the attributes and skills these people bring, like I always wanted to create, so I sort of applied that same mentality to the topic of like, no, I don't want a team that just looks like me, whether it's visible or what I can tell from an invisible um, makeup. So it was we were cognizant. We talked about it. It wasn't like these topics were taboo, which really starts laying the foundation. As I look at our early team, it was diverse. And by starting, I mean, my number one thing, if I could talk to founders would just be like, as you start building your early team, if you start stressing diversity, then it just makes your, it makes it all so much easier to follow through on. And it can actually start to grow organically. Not that you shouldn't be cognizant of it along the way, which we definitely are, but Starting early and starting right is definitely the better, the easier way to do it versus trying to, I don't know, change course later. So in 2014, 2015, you know, heading into 2016, um, which starts to bring up a different topic we could hit on, uh, you know, to the, the fall of 2016 and the presidential election, that sort of became internally at Aceable in Austin, Texas, which, you know, it's the the liberal dot in the middle of a very uh, conservative state, that election really started bubbling up topics around diversity, um, race, etc. So that became to the forefront of the company. And at that moment, it really started being discussed weekly at all hands, not necessarily weekly, we have a weekly all hands. And the topic of diversity was important. Our, our Employees wanted to know where our metrics stood, where we stood compared to other companies um, in Austin, but also against Austin as 
the demographic mix of Austin in general. So it was less formal. It has since become more formal, and we can talk more about that. But early on, it was just a lot of people that cared about this topic and creating a safe space for people to engage in the discussion and talk about how we how we make changes. Normally, I don't talk about politics in this podcast, but I am curious how you dealt originally and, and perhaps how you continue to deal with mm-hmm. Donald Trump. And you know, I think the struggle that many business leaders have is, on the one hand, I think you want to create a welcoming environment for everyone. And that will, of course, include factors like gender and ethnicity and mm-hmm. sexual orientation. It could also include factors like political viewpoint. Yep. And I think that in more progressive cultures, you know, you can sometimes get some folks who say, well, this isn't welcoming for me. What did you find successful in talking about Trump or talking about that possible tension? Yeah, well, what I found successful, I don't know if we're going to get there. I don't know if I have been successful, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit about both 2016 and then and then really more recently and the, the events of recent related to George Floyd, et cetera. So 2016, it was an interesting, that fall, that day um, in November was an interesting day for myself as a leader. And what ended up happening, and I want to be careful, I want to give enough detail to make the story helpful, but not so much that it, of course, alienates anyone internally from our company. Um, There was a decent, you know, a strong, I'll say a decent amount, strong amount of people that were pretty disheartened after the election. And I ended up that uh, that Wednesday morning, I had a meeting somewhere and then I came into the office around 9.30 and there was really, it was a, a company-wide discussion going on around, well, what are we going to do now that, that Donald Trump's been elected? And people were sad. People, some people took the day off um, and there is this, you know, a bit of, I'll say mild outrage, if you can have mild outrage. And it was interesting, you know, my first time as a leader, as a CEO leader, we had 50-ish people in the company. I'm like, huh, how do I reply to this? Because while yes, Aceable at that point, and probably still continues to skew, this is completely non-scientific, unfounded from a data perspective, but I would guess, venture to say that uh, we skew pretty heavy, heavy on the liberal side. I knew for a fact that we had plenty of people in that office at that time that they either voted for Donald Trump or their families did. And like your question, you you know, you alluded to in your question, it's, well, suddenly that's not an inclusive environment for them or a safe place where they can go do their best work. So it became a really interesting leadership moment to have to talk about that and have to talk to some of the leaders that were engaging in this discussion about, yes, like we as a company, or not we as a company, as individuals and a group of individuals might feel like some action is needed, but we need to be very careful that we're not alienating other people that we care about and work with and come here to do great work and help us achieve our vision together. So it was a challenging time in 2016. Um, We addressed it. I think that's just kind of the important point. It's like if you have a culture where these topics can be talked about in a vulnerable way, and admit that you don't have all the answers, but you will work from a place of positive intent to help find them, it goes a long ways. Um, now, you know, fast forward and feel free, Dan, to cut in at any point. 
Um, fast forward and the, the interesting topics are, so a real example, um, immediately after the George, George Floyd incident and Breonna Taylor and, you know, the string of unfortunate and violent incidents towards Blacks that just continues to shine light on the systemic racism and atrocities related to it, you know, Aceable as an organization took a stand. I, on LinkedIn, wrote a blog post about the role of a role of a company when it comes to social injustice. And one of the action steps, and happy to talk about the rest of them, but one of them was we did immediately make donations to organizations fighting systemic racism. Now, the really challenging part comes, I do not, at this moment in my you know, CEO journey, I don't believe it's our responsibility as a company uh, to back politicians or really have political viewpoints. Um, personally, you know, maybe that's something I can do as Blake Garrett, but not as the CEO of Aceable. And that's a fine line, which I have not fully, frankly, fully explored. But as a company, I wanted to be very careful that we didn't jump into po politics. However, when you start looking at organizations that you can support, one of the ways to make change, as we're all pretty aware, is through policy change, and then you start to get political. So yeah. Aceable did make a donation to um, the Black Lives Matter organization. And while I didn't receive any direct feedback about that donation, um, I did receive some anonymous feedback. We have an anonymous question form at Aceable that I answer the questions or anyone on our executive team answers the questions during our weekly all hands. I received a question or it was really a statement with a question about um, sometimes at Aceable, it's starting to feel like if you're con if you have conservative beliefs, this might not be the most welcoming place. Effectively, that's what the feedback was. And that was a bit of an eye-opening comment for a lot of people. And, you know, it's really challenging how we think about inclusiveness and how you start thinking about, well, what social movements have been politicized that could be on both sides that we should all still be able to get behind? And it's, it's brought up some really challenging questions um, for myself and our executive team as we think about creating a culture where we want conservative, like if we're going to talk about diversity, we need conservative viewpoints. We need healthy debate that goes on both sides of this. We just need it to be healthy debate that tries to stay away from emotional vitriol or something to that degree. I want to ask how how you feel about or what you did about that comment in a, in a second, that it might not feel welcoming to people with conservative viewpoints. And I especially want to ask because I think it is an increasingly relevant question for business leaders. I yeah. think we are increasingly seeing business leaders who might not consider themselves personally progressive or liberal, but are still pushing for more diverse cultures, a more diverse mm -hmm. workforce are increasingly aware of you know systemic racism. And they're doing it not necessarily because they're changing their political affiliation or their you know, views on what tax rates should be, but because they believe it's right for their company. The future of their company and, and the American workforce is diverse, and they don't want to be behind the curve. So I think there are a lot of folks who 
want to be able to have it all. And that's not easy. So again, curious Mm -hmm. how you reacted or how you think about reacting to this question of, is the culture becoming potentially unwelcome to people with a particular political viewpoint? Yeah. And, you know, I think the the preface I would say before even answering the question is I'm still learning through all of this. Right. And I'm like, I don't I am far from the expert that should be opining for other people to follow my lead. Um, So definitely still learning each and every day, each question like that that comes up that's challenging. So my immediate feedback was since this was an anonymous question, it was, well, I would love to talk to the person that that feels this way. I just need to understand better. Um, you know, one of the challenges in, in any organization, but especially as you scale and especially related to these topics, it's really d- understanding the problem. And like, when, so when we say conservative, what do we mean? Like, when we talk about diversity, what are we actually talking about? When just really understanding what's like, what's triggering that? What I, you know, cause I kind of have to jump to conclusions that maybe, maybe it was the donation to Black Lives Matter. Maybe it wasn't at all. Um, I don't actually know. So I think it's really understanding the problem that that we feel is there. And then what I what I've done since and more needs to be done. So I'll definitely say that. But what I've done since is, you know, I reached out to a couple members of our team that I know politically are conservative. They raise their hands, they're a self-proclaimed conservative. And I got their viewpoint on it and just asked how they view the conversations going on and from a conservative standpoint, um, maybe what initiatives are there that we're not supporting or could support that would start to balance Aceable's point of view? So it was um, it was a helpful conversation, and you know we haven't landed anywhere solid yet. But you know, like you start going through the list of sort of the issues, the social issues that have been politicized. Like there's some, frankly, I am not comfortable talking about at work, and then there's others, and it's like, huh. Well, maybe we could have a more balanced discussion around that. Like one that comes to mind that we talked about was, you know, support for veterans. You could say politically, that's typically more a conservative-led initiative. Um, but I think if you, you know, you can talk to some people, and you know, the support for veterans, you get into systemic racism questions there too. So I think there's there's common ground where we can support initiatives that maybe traditionally fall on one side or the other of the aisle, but. The idea to me, if we're going to combat racism, like <laughs> racism, there's, there's, I like to think, I know, you know, you can, you can be a conservative that is still very against racism. So it's kind of like, let's talk about the issue at heart. Yeah. No one has any complete answers here or complete solutions and, and certainly no, no expectation that you're different from everybody else. But I think that a couple of your comments have pointed towards is that the conversation itself has value and what you learn and how you engage better, treat people better. It doesn't necessarily just have to be at the policy level that, that you can work. That said, I do want to turn to policies or to goals, KPIs that you might have with respect to your diversity efforts. Before we get to that, just give people a snapshot of ACEable's size. So whether that's employees or the number of people who take your courses or whatever it might be, help us understand yeah. this, how big you are and then take us to what policies or goals you have with respect to them. Yeah. So from a business perspective, 200 employees, um, we are in multiple cities in the US. We're currently in a city in India as well. And then from a 
customer standpoint, we have about a million and a half customers a year using our products. So from so we actually during this time, <laughs> there's some lessons learned in this. So it's interesting. At this moment, we do not have goals related to really KPIs or outcomes. And I'll, I'll sort of talk about how we got here and what we're doing right now and where we're going. The uh, the goal to be unnecessarily meta for a second. The goal is to get to goals. But right now, we needed to start with just some work to understand where we're at. So pieces that we learned, well, the, immediately after the uh, George Floyd incident, um, George Floyd murdered, to be, I'll just use that word. Um, as, as leaders and entrepreneurs, we're like, okay, well, what can we do? And I think within, you know, hours, we had this list of action items. And to be super frank, I created a good amount of those. And here I am, the white guy creating the action items for how we're going to reply to this incident of systemic racism. And thankfully, I don't know, as I get older and, and just more experienced in life, it's like, all right, slow down for a second. You are one of the least qualified people to create this list. At least to do so in isolation would be a tremendous mistake. So how do we slow down and listen and listen to our black employees, to our employees of, from color of color? And A, first let them mourn because this is a very, very, very hard time in their lives. And then listen and see what type of ideas and actions come from them. So we did that and we stepped back and I think it was really well received, which made me very, very glad we do it because solving this problem on that first moment was not the right way to go about it. So from that, the perspective that started to emerge was, okay, what do we first, like before we try to do anything externally, what can we do internally? What can we do with both our employees and our product? Because, you know, we have this product, like I mentioned, that a million and a half people are using a year. It's an educational product. It's full of text and images. And some of the topics that our product hits on are topics such as fair housing laws. Or in the driver's ed courses we have, it's what to do when you get pulled over by a police officer. So there's these potential areas where we need to just see like, well, what are we doing for ourselves? And how are we, how's our product educating or not educating when it comes to these um, these topics, um, consciously and unconsciously. So this quarter is part of our, you know, we have a quarterly planning process where we have eight, we, we, the way we do it is we have eight company projects that are the most important in a quarter. One of those eight is around our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So it includes looking at well, hiring a consultant, because that's the other thing, like we, the blind spots and the unknown unknowns we have internally about what we should be doing, like we need help. So first hiring a consultant to help us on the product side, come up with the rubric in which to evaluate our content from a DE&I lens, then do a full audit of our content, identify the areas that we can improve, then make, um, in this quarter, it's put together a plan to implement those suggestions, which the actual implementation will probably fall into Q4. So that was that piece. Um, we also want to educate. There's courses out there that um, instructional designers can take specific to instructional design around um, DE&I. 
So our instructional design team of 15 people are going to take courses as well. Uh, then it also, and this is where it became a bit, well, the first one is how do we take training just as an organization? And I know training, training just for the sake of training, I think there's plenty of study that shows ineffective. However, we need to still start there and then build upon that training. So we have plans this quarter to um, for, the, for all of us to undergo unconscious bias training. And then the last piece, and this was probably the most eye-opening for me because I just didn't realize this. And I guess it's one of the things that happen when you become a, I don't know, we're still a small company, but bigger than we were. Um, we want to be able to publish our diversity metrics, both internally and eventually externally. However, what I learned is when you collect the diversity information from employees, that's for the EEOC and not for you're, you cannot necessarily, you cannot legally publish that even internally, the aggregation of it. So what we have to do this quarter is recollect that information. And, you know, I probably, and this is again, where my own bias comes in being a white guy. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, why don't we just send out a Google form tonight? <laughs> well, thank God I didn't just do that and actually listen to people and it's a daunting, scary task for a lot of people. They don't know how that information is going to be used. Is it going to single them out? Is it going to result in some changes that might adversely impact them? So think like thankfully, we're being very thoughtful about it. And I have a team that's being incredibly thoughtful about it. But it wasn't just as simple as, oh, let's publish the information we already have. So once we publish it, well, once we capture it, understand it, then I think we can make better goals tied to it. There are always going to be skeptics. Yeah. And I think my guess is that the most common form of skepticism would be, hey, I'm a good person. I'm not racist. We're all pretty much okay here. There's a lot of time and effort and you're hiring consultants and spending money and forcing me to sit through training that I don't need. Right? I think that's probably a fairly common line of thinking, I think decreasing. You know, especially you know, over the last handful of months, but I think yeah. still fairly common. And I think one response is, well, it's the right thing to do. Although I'm not sure the skeptic will react positively to that response. I think the other response is, well, let me tell you how it helps us as a company. Let me share with you how that makes us you know, more likely to be economically successful. So I'm curious how you think about that second part, tying this to ultimately big IPO and a rising stock price for the foreseeable future. Here's a very tactical example that actually happened late last week. So I was in a meeting um, with a new member of our learning design team. And he actually, and the topic came down to diversity for a second. And he, so he's terrific. Like he's in, an incredible instructional designer. And he started, I think two months ago. And he straight up said in the meeting is like, look, as I was evaluating all my op options as a gay Latino man, I was able to do research on Aceable and saw the stance you all took when it comes to diversity. And I knew this was the place that I should work. And I looked at that and I was just like, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm proud that that's the conclusion you came away from, but outside in, but I'm like, we have, it actually has created an edge in talent. Like that guy could have gone and worked anywhere that touches on instructional design and the fact that he chose Aceable just shows like this matters to people as to talent, super talented people as they're looking for jobs. And especially if they're underrepresented, well, now you have a bit of an edge in a market if you want to be really 
you know, businessy about it. So I, I thought that was that was the most recent example. Um, others that are really easy to use, it's like just it's more of a logic chain. But our product, the million and a half customers that use our product, the majority of them are not white. So if we have people that are like me growing up creating a product where I am so far from the actual customer, like we're bound to there's bound to be blind, blind spots in our marketing there's bound to be blind spots in our product our ux design our the words we use in a ux design our help center all of that's going to result in inefficiency which is just going to be increased cost and potentially lower conversion so lower revenue so diversity of thought is so important both in our product our recruiting the decisions we make as a company um, and i think all of that starts to resonate in the bottom line that makes a lot of sense blake you have been active with some other startup leaders in the Austin ecosystem around diversity and inclusion efforts. And I'm curious if you can share some of that. Yeah. So last year, the, in 2019, there was the Diversity Pledge, which, which got ground in Austin, both for entrepreneurs, um, not necessarily just entrepreneurs, but businesses in Austin, and then also investors. And the investor piece was great. And the, the pledge had, I believe it's, it's something like seven different areas, including one being the Walker rule around interviewing, um, all designed for companies to start taking these seven initiatives and applying them to practices such as pay, interviewing, training, um, policies. And it's it's interesting to see now, I've not talked to the founder of it, a gentleman named Stephen. I'm not talking to Stephen, probably not talked to Stephen in probably a year. So it'd be interesting to see what's happened recently um, and how that's impacting it. But internally, you know, we have work to do too. Um, but I think some of it starts with, a lot of it actually starts with the projects we're taking on this quarter. We've done things over the last year to take into account the Walker rule. Um, I would love to be able to talk about the diversity metrics I know about Aceable, <laughs> but actually now I don't know if I'm even allowed to talk about them, but I think, you know, the uh, our workforce force is very diverse, and I think we we definitely have opportunity to improve, especially in certain demographics. But overall, I'm proud of what we've accomplished. Um, I think initiatives like the Walker Rule are great, both from an internal perspective, but also to help motivate others to continue to improve as well. Blake, I think we'll end it there. Really appreciate you sharing your experience here. Yeah, thank you both. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.